Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg Life. This is a, a special episode. You can see we have a panel discussion going on today. We're going to look at everyday spirituality. Because on this show, we talk a lot about this esoteric, metaphysical kind of knowledge, these spiritual truths, but how does that help anyone? How do we actually get something usable uh, out of that? And how do we make the world a better place, make our individual lives better through it? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And to do this with me, I've got a panel of really awesome guests. I have Dr. Sony Werner, professor of psychology at Bernathan College and an author. Sony, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Uh, I have another author, Peter Rhodes, to my left, who you've seen Peter from way, way back. We, we had you on one of the first videos ever on this channel, which was mm -hmm. the, the conversations video. So you wrote um, Observing Spirit, which is a book I really like, and, and other ones that uh, you can find on Swedenborg.com. Uh, and then Chelsea is with the Swedenborg Foundation. If you've ever seen our show, Swedenborg in Life, she's a writer for it. She's also a poet, a speaker, probably an author as well. You ever write something? Okay, and, and my name is Curtis, and, and I host things. So I thought we could start our conversation today. I want to do a couple of things. Uh, I want to look at some questions people had who are, who are watching the show, but I also want to look at a few little quotes from Swedenborg and, and from that kind of launch into what, what the whole thing means. So I want to start with True Christianity 347. Swedenborg writes, truths are not actually alive before they exist in actions. Mm -hmm. So what, that could just be a pithy saying, or is there meaning to it? What, what does that mean? What, what does it mean that we bring truth to life through actions? And I think that speaks to kind of this everyday spiritual practice. So, Sony, do you have any, any thoughts on that? What does that sentiment mean to you? Well, I think about it both personally and professionally. Um, let me talk about professionally first. In, in the world of psychology, especially educational psychology, we talk about when kids learn something, they can just memorize it and give it back to the teacher and then they might forget it. But if they take in information at a fact level and they kind of get a chance to think about it and then create something, maybe they draw something, maybe they build a little model, maybe they write a poem about it, we call that constructivism. And then you remember it and you develop an affection for it and you love it. And, Chances are it'll go into your long-term memory for a long time, and it might even help you be a better person. Now, that's just at a fact level. So when you're talking about spiritual things, I think the same holds true. Yeah, I can memorize stuff. do the stuff. same thing. Yeah, we can have recitations in a worship service. We all repeat back to the minister. But it's when you take it in, and then, for instance, for me, at a personal level, I like to read stuff, and then I like to write about it. So I'm an author, and I like to paint pictures about it. Hmm. And I like to combine it with psychology ideas. And then I construct it. That's the constructivism. And then it starts to feel like it's mine. And then I need to use it to inspire me to go be of help to other people. So as a teacher, as an author, as a community member. So that's my take on it. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. striking to think about. Of course, when you're teaching somebody academic stuff, mm -hmm. they have to apply it in some way. It's almost yeah. why you have tests. Is right. Here you've learned the theory on equations or whatever, and now you've got to apply it. Mm -hmm. So we, we're trying to do the same thing mm -hmm. with, with spiritual knowledge you know Peter have you have you ever had success with that <laughs> do, you, do you have any what, what's it like what does it look like for you to take sort of a, a con, higher concept and and put that into to use in life well I guess if you took truth uh, in itself it has no form or no substance you I couldn't even show you a truth right now that yeah, truth an example <coughs> of the truth here yeah here, look at this that's pretty good huh <laughs> so uh, it may take on the form of a word Mm. But that word isn't the truth. It's just a word that the truth says. Uh, I was a diver, mm -hmm. and it says, you know, you should make sure your hands go beyond your head when you start a twist. Well, they could say that, and that could be true, and the word's fine. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I only really know the experience of that truth is when I do it. Mm -hmm. And then the impact of that truth, I think we call that the good of truth. Mm -hmm. We applied it, yeah. and now I will remember, <clears throat> because it isn't just in my mind, it's in my experience. And that I believe is a called like a living truth. Mm -hmm. So the same in spiritual practice, there are things, you know, uh, don't speak from a negative emotion. Mm. When I have had a negative emotion, I spoke from them, I see the results, evils and falsity. And then one day, I'm going to actually try and apply that. And I bite my tongue, and I see my wife continues to be happy. <laughs> so now, now, I, now I know that it isn't just a suggestion. It's a suggestion about how to live that will improve my life. Because good comes from it in application. If I know it, don't talk behind someone's back or don't gossip, and yet I continue to do those things, then I don't really know it. What sweet work says, yeah. you don't really know it. So. Yeah, that makes me brings to mind. We we have made a video on this channel a long time ago. It was called uh, "Heaven at a Crosswalk." It was Swedenborg Minute, and um, it was we we shot it on a street out here where uh, I was watching cars go by and I was narrating like you know like in my head, uh, "Oh, I'm mad because no one's stopping for me." Um, now every time I walk across that street, I'm like, "Wait." I gotta actually apply this because the <laughs> video is about relax. Everyone's gotta get with you know, love everyone. Right, right. So now, whenever I'm crossing that street, I'm like, okay, actually do it. Actually imagine these people getting where they need to go. You know, and right, that's right. there. That's and I wonder if there's um, a correlation, you know, a correspondence with muscle memory because mm -hmm. you're talking about diving. Mm -hmm. That once you do something physical enough, mm -hmm. it's just it's just a, your, your subconscious almost takes it over. And is that is that a living? Right. physical truth. So, yeah. Chelsea, do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, when I think about truth coming alive in action, um, like, you know, one very basic spiritual practice is like reading the word or some spiritual text in mm -hmm. the morning or something, a sacred text or otherwise. And um, for me, when I read that, like, the value in it comes when I'm thinking in terms of my life. You know, I bring my life to the text and and I can just read, and it just is a bunch of words, but I kind of might read for a while until I get some phrase, usually a line or something, will carry this resonance with my life, and it, it somehow gets a little bit of a deeper root, and then that, that truth or that idea is one that I'm then able to sort of carry throughout my mind throughout the day and be able to think back on, and, you know, and it's, that in itself is sort of a a practice that I think of that is taking the truth and bringing it into action. And it's interesting that it starts with first bringing just sort of my life, my presence, my experience to just, well, what are these words and how might it resonate with that? Mm -hmm. I think about, well, I, you know, we, this channel is uh, very Swedenborg focused. You know, we have all these quotes from Swedenborg. We're reading quotes today. And for me, I, I experienced something similar where you can be reading that text. Anyone who's tried to read Swedenborg knows you can read it, and you're just like, "What? This is nothing." <laughs> but at times, things really come alive for me. And I, I recently, I had this where um, I was reading a um, a spiritual experience that he described, where he's going and talking to these spirits that have like false ideas that are trying to attack him through those, and and they say these false things um, to get at him that have some truth in them. Uh, and, and the response mm. is, individually, those, those things you say are true. However, because you're using them to support a false premise, they're false. Mm. Um, and that, to me, 
that was potent because I, I take whatever I hear about the spiritual world and apply it to my thoughts and feelings. You know, so I took that and went out because you find your fears and your, your insecurities, they, they try to work their way in by having some kind of truth attached to them. Right. So I would actually take that statement and repeat to my, my fears and say, what you're saying those pieces are true, but because you're using, I would actually re- you're trying read to that me. little thing to, to yeah, because because you're using the truth for evil, truth and it, they cancel each other out. So oh, to, yeah. to me, that kind of stuff kind of comes alive. I would take. I use a similar thing. Is I believe uh, truth is a form of good. Mm-hmm. It's a formulation of good as a word or an act, and that's mm-hmm. the truth. Uh, so if I'm feeling a negative emotion. Even though it sounds true that that person's causing it, or if they would only do this, I'd be happier. Right. <clears throat> I know that I'm in a negative emotion, so I say that can't be true, because it's not a form of good. Mm. And so it's accurate. There's a place in Swedenborg, I don't know where it is, but he says something that's true, but does not bring about good, is not really true, even if accurate. It's only called a something. I forget it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Memory yeah. knowledge. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's something lower than truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's accurate, but yeah. it isn't true because yeah, really. it isn't a form of good. And that's yeah, what I look for. Because those are two so linked together. They're yeah. really one. One's form, one's substance. So. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. other angle that I love on this idea of truth being brought to really be alive in action is similar to what you were saying about, like, um, the fact that truth from yesterday, like something that happened yesterday or whatever, like true ideas from the past or the future are, they might be, well, I guess what I'm getting at is that the present moment, I love this idea that the present moment is actually the truth (coughs) because it's what's really happening. It's the only thing that's real. And so it contains the truth. It contains our connection to goodness. You know, we can only connect through that. And so in terms of sort of like witnessing my mind, if I find myself just getting totally caught up in something that happened yesterday or something I'm really worried about in the future, I might be able to convince myself that those two things are true, but it's the fact that they're not rooted in, well, what's happening right now, what is present, right, right. Then, then that sort of um, yeah. cancels them out in a way. Right. That's a great so. point. Uh, for me, a lot of my personal spiritual practice is trying to use, like I was just saying, principles to navigate the the flora and fauna in the mind um <laughs> and i again reading in swedenborg he says that like the, an, the angelic mindset uh still less do they have memory of things past that, or concern for the future so i again yeah that, that how do you navigate how i it seems like i should really be anxious about this thing or regretting that thing because it seems true but wait first of all you got a time problem this is in the past or the future so it's probably less true than mm-hmm. than the present you know mm-hmm. so i that's, that's cool. And I like the phrase, the truth is, which is what you're saying. Right. The, the truth is, it's right now. Mm-hmm. Well, how can that be? Because it's God's love and God's wisdom taking the form of the creation of the present moment. Yeah. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. And here we can be responsive to God in this conversation. But if I'm thinking about the future or wondering about how this is going to go, and it's taking me away from God's truth mm-hmm. into something that's not really true because it's in my imagination, usually concerned with self and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so coming back to the present moment is the most boring thing that your ego can ever do. <laughs> yes. Because it doesn't exist in the present moment. So it says, come on, yeah, 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 not present moment. moment. But I gotta go in the future, we gotta really work on the future. Or yeah. last week. Yeah, because it can, it, can, it can kind of 
design the future and, and co- well, color the past, but the present you. is the present. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You have to have humility to really be present because yeah. you're not in control. <laughs> you know? Yes. The only thing you're really in control of at that moment to moment is your attitude. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I was thinking that truth to me is vague, but doing actually mm-hmm. doing something. So I'm involved in a couple of volunteer activities and I'm really working mindfully about making sure my attitude is good at that moment when I begin it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm trying to not think about, well, what will my reputation be if I do this good volunteer thing? Or, gee, this has got to make up for all the bad stuff I used to do or something. Yes. But instead, today, it's almost like I try to ask the Lord to come right through me and try to have a cheerful attitude while I'm doing mm-hmm. that thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, and try to do it every minute while I'm doing it. And then at the end, it's like you lose track of time and it's much more joyful. Mm-hmm. And all those minutes that you're just letting the Lord flow through you, to me, that's a living truth. Mm-hmm. And it's, you're actually getting good things done, but what matters in the long run is the attitude that you had at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a, a lovely moment. Mm-hmm. But that's the part you get to control. It's almost like you get to adjust your attitude. Yeah, beautiful. Totally. I want to I wanna continue to steer our conversation through these different topics, I thought we, if we listen to what people are asking questions about, we might get a good sense of what, what matters and how can we take this, this kind of idea of living truth and apply it to situations. So I thought this would be a good one. Uh, Megan asked us, non-attachment for things of the world and, and loving life and each other, how does that work together? And what, what I take that question to mean is there's a, there's a sort of aspect to spiritual path. It's like, you know, let things be, be in the present moment, don't worry about that. But then also, the act of caring for people mm-hmm. seems like it necessitates some worrying. Are they okay right now? Do I need to get in there? Um, and also, you know, enjoying life together. Like, uh, we, let's go out and get something to eat. You know, so how, how is there a balance there of, mm-hmm. of um, this sort of spiritual non-attachment or, or, and then the very concrete having relationships with people? So what do you, how, how do you guys sort of... Do you see that as a? Do you see the tension I'm talking about? And and does anyone have any thoughts on on how well, you just resolve clarity, that? Clarity, non-attachment to what? Uh, material things or non-attachment to for the things of reputation? the for the things yeah things of the world um, yeah. So I I would just take that phrase to mean material things and reputation, sort of the Swedenborgian mm-hmm. uh, definition of that. So, so honor, reputation, gain. And, and, and even, gang, and even like we're talking about now, past and, and yeah. future. You know, right? Doesn't that come up a lot if you're trying to think of? your kid's future or something like that. Yeah. So how do you, how do you uh, combine relationships and spiritual practice? I, um, I think uh, the, the concept of non-attachment, which is like a prevalent one in lots of different spiritual traditions, has um, it can become a somewhat of a misnomer because you, like, you have to be attached. You know, I love this idea of like we do, our life is about attaching each other to each other, you know, like making connections, <laughs> connections. and having, you know, um, but, but when it goes too far, I, I think of like the idea of non-attachment is not having that um, control, you know, th- yeah. that we were talking about, like having to let go of being the one in charge or controlling everything as it happens. And mm-hmm. um, what Sony was saying feeds right into this, I think, with like the best we can do is set our set an intention mm-hmm. and and then just do you know mm-hmm. and um and this is coming from it's in the bhagavad gita but one of those truths that is always feeding into my mind 
on a regular basis is that um, we have a right to our actions, but not the fruits of our actions or the outcome of our actions. And so our, our um, another way of putting it is like our actions are our only true belongings is how it's said in one um, Buddhist phrase. And so that idea of um, we can be present to our life and relationships and yet letting go of the outcome, you know, like letting go of the future of it or, you know, and just being present with intention is, I think, one way that you can balance that non-attachment and yet present to relationships. So not, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a direct parallel in um, the stream of providence. Swedenborg describes this sort of ideal state you can get into where you are completely trusting in God's guidance. So you're not, he says, if you if you get rich, you're, you don't think you're better than other people. If you get become humble, uh, you don't think you're worse than other people. However, you still at every moment are trying to do everything good. So I think that put it, letting go of the outcome, that's a great way to, to put it. And it's certainly, it's not that non-attachment to the things of the world wouldn't mean not attached to people in the world. The, the things of the world, as Swedenborg describes, would be what we would generally call ego concerns, you know, mm-hmm. like reputation, um, se- sensory gratification in a vacuum. And actually, that stuff often gets in the way of, if you're always looking at your friends through your own ego, you're, am I better than them, am I, mm-hmm. am I worse than them, you're not really having a relationship with that person anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so kind of, you gotta, gotta do something on that to, to move forward. Seems a priority, um, love of the Lord and your neighbor is the number one priority, and self and the world should serve that. Right. So attachment, the way I take it is, attachment is my affection for my car is more important than you. So I'm not going to give you a ride because it happens to be raining out and I just cleaned the thing, yeah. you know, like something like that. <clears throat> I have a pond and a place kids love to come to play. And when I, I put things down there to the fun and flower pots and stuff like that. And when I first kids started to come, they would knock over things and step on flowers and stuff like that. <laughs> So I was in the, oh, I gotta make a choice here. Which is more important to me? You know, kids having a good time or my stuff. And I can see <laughs> if I put my stuff, I'm gonna be the nasty old man at the end of the block. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, did, it did feel like dying to my affection for the glass vase, hand-blown glass vase that I liked. Mm. But it was worth it because to see the kids having a good time, and they'll knock something over, and you see their mother, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> so I think God is gradually leading us from where we're, as children, we love things and we love ourselves. Yeah. But gradually those priorities start to change yeah. in relation to people. It doesn't mean you don't take care of your car. Mm-hmm. I use the example of someone who has a beautiful car and they wash it all the time and it's up on blocks and don't use it. Well, I think really it should yeah. be used mm-hmm. in such a way that, yes, it's a wonderful car, and the enjoyment of that car is also in the uh, giving someone a ride or allowing someone to borrow for a prom or something. So there's a living relationship between stuff and God and neighbor. Yeah. Right. And that that's in the right. And I think regeneration is really reversing that as a kid, you know, mm. and gradually all yeah. of a sudden people become more important to you than your stuff. And, and you still have stuff to loan them or I have a thought too. This is a, a sort of a metaphor that I've been using for the last couple of years about the issue of sort of a detaching when you feel like you want to control somebody else's life because mm-hmm. you have the illusion, delusion that you are supposed to arrange everybody else's life. 
<laughs> and uh, it's not a healthy thing. Well, so, you just know better than they do. Uh, that's the illusion. <laughs> that's the story you tell. And when you're in the field of psychology, you're supposed to fix everybody. So, oh, right. And if you're a mother, you're supposed to fix everybody. So you get into these little justifications. So I've got this little tool that I came up with. A friend of mine gave it to me, and I've sort of elaborated on it. So when I feel like I'm trying to arrange somebody else's life, and I really have no business doing that, I've got to detach. So I can't just turn away completely. So I pretend that I'm in a movie theater or a stage play theater, and the other person is the actor on the stage. Now, then I ask myself a couple of questions. Sonia, are you the director of that person's life? Uh, actually, no. Are you the prompter telling them what to say? Uh, actually, no. Uh, are you allowed to be in the audience, front row, cheering them on and oh, feeling empathy? Well, maybe. And sometimes if they're really doing disorderly things, it's really none of your business. And you actually should be in the back of the theater maybe occasionally playing with your phone and yeah. not even totally paying attention. You're not really in charge of them. And sometimes you have to leave the theater. And so that has been very interesting when I, you know, when I want to control my grown children's life or my mm. students or my sister or somebody. And I think I have all this great advice and it's really not healthy, it's controlling. So that to me has helped a lot to help me pull back, pull back and then let other people or the Lord or let the person manage their own lives. Mm -hmm. So I can still be present, observing, listening, maybe paraphrasing what they're doing, summarizing, but I'm not really supposed to tell them what to do. It's a non-attachment to the person. That's right. Uh, Katie Byron says the highest uh, arrogance you can have is to think you know how someone else should live their life better than they know how to live their life. That's the trap I get and, into. Yeah, it is a high state of arrogance, yeah. and I have it all the time. It just seems normal to me. Yeah. I know, it's very familiar. We're, we're native to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes me think about it. It's, it's, a, it's all about possession, and uh, there's a couple of Swedenborg's principles. With, re, with regard to things, he says, he says at one point that the heavenly mindset is to think about material things as, Oh, I'm just, these are all the Lord's things, and I'm just kind of caretaking them. Mm -hmm. And I, a couple times I've tried, like, when I'm thinking about my house, and, like, mm -hmm. does it need to be better? Do these light <coughs> fixtures need to be better? Do I need to paint this thing? What am I going to do about my garden? Um, or, like, how cool does it need to be to think, mm -hmm. this is the Lord's thing. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm tying it up with my ego, like, oh, I live in a mm -hmm. good place or something. This is the Lord's mm -hmm. stuff. I need to, it, it changes how I feel. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's, there's that, that level of possession, and then... With people, um, something about really believing oh, that they, they, they are the Lord's. Like this, yeah. the Lord is the is the closest one to them, and so something about just thinking about that makes me even real. Oh, subconsciously, I was sort of thinking they exist as an adjunct to me. Mm -hmm. But but you know what I mean. The, but actually, yeah. no. There's this there's this divine sort of mm -hmm. connection. Okay, do we want to say anything more, or do you want me to? I can do the um. next. I have Question. one thought, only it. because it gives me the opportunity to quote something I read in one of Peter's books. Yeah! <laughs> it's available at <laughs> yeah. The quote was, and <clears throat> you can tell me where this actually comes from, maybe, um, is, you know, we're here to work on ourselves, so, so we should thank others for giving us the opportunity of doing so. <laughs> and so, just the fact that we all, that idea that Curtis was painting of um, the Lord is the closest thing to that person and the Lord is the closest thing to me and so if I find myself um, you know wanting to control or see issue or something in somebody else I can realize actually the best way for me to show up for that person would be to work on this feeling and experience that I'm having mm -hmm. and bring it into my awareness of yeah. you know God and me and think okay what 
you know, then I'm actually supporting the other person in their spiritual life by working on yeah. myself. You know, I'm going to be more able to show up for them in a way that is God-led or something. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, best mm-hmm. thing you can do for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's ironic. It always seems like the other that we're supposed to tell them what to do and right. give them all this advice. And the irony is that we're actually supposed to be working on our own spiritual stuff. Yeah. And the less yeah. you do, the better it is for everybody. But yes. I, but it's it's attachment with love because it's not like I just want to run away to an island and yep. be disinterested in people. Right. So shifting over to well, who am I in this person's life? What use am I supposed to be doing if it's not? giving them way too much advice and they don't need it, what is it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's good to keep pondering that question over and over again. Who am I in this person's life right now at this moment? And so I think we should not always do the impulsive thing. We should reflect a little more. Mm-hmm. So I want to go to another question. Uh, and this is a, a question from Julie. And she said, does Swedenborg speak about if or how one can determine the state of their spirit? So I thought that if we're going for practical uh, information and I actually have a Swedenborg quote that that relate that I thought was a cool kind of uh, relation to that. So this is from Secrets of Heaven three seven nine six. It takes wisdom though to know what our own aims are. Sometimes our goal seems selfish when it is not, because out of custom and habit we naturally ponder self-interest at every step. However, if you want to know what ends you hold in view, simply notice the kind of pleasure you feel when given praise and glory and the kind of pleasure you feel in useful activity apart from personal benefit. If you enjoy the latter, your desire is genuine. We ought to pay attention to the various states we pass through, though, because the states themselves usually change our perception. This is something we can examine in ourselves, but not in others, because the Lord alone knows the aim of every desire. That's why the Lord said, Don't judge anyone, or you will be judged. Don't condemn anyone, or you will be condemned. So there's sort of three, three cool points in there. One is... Look, what, what, what pumps you up the most, that's kind of a, a bellwether for the state of the spirit. You know, if, if I'm here doing this conversation with you guys and I'm only excited at the idea of me saying the smartest thing, then <laughs> we got, maybe we've got an issue. But he also says, notice the states that you go through because they change your... So, which I take is like, sometimes you're going to be in that yeah. state, but just look more overall. But then finally... You don't know what someone else's states are. Yeah. And we were just talking about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know, I know what your aims are. No, nobody but God knows that. So in the context of that, it, you know, how, do we, how do we know how we're doing spiritually? Is there a way to... Because we're trying to make spiritual progress. How do you kind of check up? So does anyone have thoughts uh, in, in, in regard to all that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, thinking of that idea you brought up of the stream of providence, I it definitely makes me think of how it's such a useful thing to just remember or recognize that I'm going through a flow of states and that one state isn't going to be eternal, but it's an opportunity to bring that into an awareness of the Lord's leading, you know, like that I, um, you know, even even if I find myself in a state of, like you said, examine sort of the pleasure of or if you have, if you get pleasure in just sort of having everything for yourself or getting what you want, um, that's that's not an opportunity to condemn myself. It's it's an opportunity to just recognize it and then surrender that too. Like, okay, I'm in. You know, take yeah. take the weather. You know, take my temperature. <laughs> like, how, how are things? What's going on in me? And then bringing surrendering anything to to the Lord's leading or sort of a humility. Um, then it's then you're going to be on that, you know, heaven-led, you know, like, so mm-hmm. that's a 
thought. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, we're in a process, and we're going to experience states of love and self in the world. <laughs> we're going to experience states of, you know, arrogance and pride. We're going to experience uh, selfless activity and enjoyment. And it used to be, oh, a good person only feels these good things, and I'm not a good person. About <clears throat> if I work real hard someday, I only love my neighbor and never think of myself. And the more and more I study, the more and more I reflect on myself is, no, it's like going down a river, you come around the corner and there's going to be this kind of plant that go around the river and there's a bear. I mean, it's just, this is the river of my, my spiritual practice, this is my life. And I'm going to learn from what is really true. Oh, now I'm trying to impress people. Oh, I've recently started to experience myself just loving good on uh, uh, Facebook. Just people who are in some good and I just tear up and I have no idea why mm -hmm. yeah uh, and then happiness with little children have you know I have no investment mm -hmm. but I recognize that's no more me than mm -hmm. my uh, wanting to be seen as smart or something mm -hmm. neither are me and I think that's the point of Swedenborg says don't attribute either good or evil to yourself neither are you and you're gonna learn I'm gonna put both in front of you for you to learn the contrasting opposites mm -hmm. Uh, so it takes the pressure off, oh, I should be different than I am. No, the way I am is the way God's designing me. The experiences I'm having are handmade for me. So that through these experiences, both when I'm uh, selfish and when I'm selfless, and everywhere in between, I'm going to be learning. That's how God is teaching me. Mm -hmm. So there's no longer an agenda of I should be experiencing things and thinking and feeling different than I am. No, how are you actually thinking and feeling? Observe that, and through that observation, mm -hmm. you will be learning, and God's whole intention is to gradually lead you towards loving him and the neighbor. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, there There's comments in the writings that talk about how the Lord and angels are sort of bending you, almost right. like a willow branch, yeah. just bending mm -hmm. you. And we can participate in that uh, with whatever practice we want to use. So, for instance, if I'm involved in a conversation with somebody and... I'm getting sort of swept up and I'm observing uh, a little bit about selfishness and how long is this going to be or this is tedious or are, I really don't want to talk. Right now? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I'll try very hard to switch and I'll do a couple of simple little things in my head such as I wonder what it feels like to be that person today. Just start with something simple like that and then move on to wonder what it was like when they dealt with this problem before. I wonder how they're are they feeling embarrassed? Just asking myself a couple of questions that are other-focused instead of me-focused. Mm -hmm. And all the time that I'm doing that, every minute I'm doing that, I'm not so much thinking about whether or not, what's my life like at the moment. And so if I'm other-focused for the moment, even if it's just for a few minutes, then when there's a break in the conversation, it'll be more, I'll be inviting them to talk more about what's going on. Yeah. And all the time I'm doing that, I figure I'm, it's, it's a little more useful than for me to be checking my watch and wondering if I'm going to get to my appointment on time and me, 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 me. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm finding that um, that can be very helpful as well. And Just a thought. I, well, that, that's a great thought. And it reminds me, I don't remember where I heard this, but there was some technique, uh, if you're feeling some kind of negativity towards someone, imagine being in what it feels like to be in their body at that mm -hmm. moment. Have you guys ever heard of that? Like mm -hmm. if, you're, if there's somebody driving a car or something, imagine what it feels like to have your hands on the wheel. Yeah. It, just that, just that. And I've, if the few times I tried it, that, that worked. Just mm -hmm. like, or, or what is it like to, to be sitting where they are? How do their mm -hmm. legs feel? 
just that moment of considering from their perspective can really affect things. And I want to say, um, I think in relation to what you were saying, Chelsea, that about identifying, and, and what we've all been saying about identifying negative stuff yeah. in you, I, I do think, I, I come across people who think, you know, there's, there's, with spirituality or religious sounding stuff, there should be all this guilt. And, right. and, but it, it hasn't been my experience that when I do see something that is undesirable, uh, it's, it's sort of good because I, I know that things aren't great. The meaning I, I have negative thoughts and feelings that are always trying to get me down. It's not, I don't live always in a, in a happy weather pattern in my head. So, oh, here we found part of the problem. You know, it's, it's like, oh, great. Because if you, if you don't come across those, I don't know how I'm going to make any progress, but, oh, here's something tangible. Like, to me, the, the times when I've really felt like I'm making progress, it's, there's been a sense of, of uh, excitement, opportunity with it. You know, not like this, I'm terrible. I've never felt that, like, I'm terrible leading me to, to something good. Yeah. You know, there's there always... There has to be some excitement about discovering. Oh, okay, I yeah. found a moment right now. I'm yeah. being a little bit self-oriented here. Yeah, okay, like, now what are we going to do about it? Well, something think, like that, yeah. Something, like her question was, um, how did she say it exactly? Like, does Swedenborg say anything about how we can know what Determine our spiritual state, state is? Our the spirit. state of our spirit. Yep. Right. And what I find so interesting is, like, you just think about the quality of heaven versus the quality of, like, our self or, you know, like hell or just us apart from heaven. The proprium. Yeah, and like heaven, Swedenborg describes it beautifully, has this like flexibility, this like willingness to just bend and, you know, move. And then the more and more like ego concerned you get, it gets tighter. It gets, you know, stiff-necked, you know, there's that language (laughs) in the Bible, like heart of stone, Mm. all these hard, rigid things. And I think there's this longing from that part of us to have our spiritual state be fixed mm-hmm. like things would be easier if i could just know here's my state here's what i am i am now good or something like that's there's a that sort of ego concerned quality to it where i think a sort of more heavenly flow type experience is to recognize that states are entirely fluid you know that we are just flowing with the lord in this ever present ever being created life and so so we can you know know our spiritual state and we don't have to like it, it's an ego c- concern to want to define ourselves by our spirit by the spiritual state that we find ourselves in you know, you know, we yeah. do either want mm-hmm. to say, now I'm heavenly, finally, or darn it, I'm condemned, you know, this is, here I am again in hell or something, yeah. when it's like, it helps me in my day-to-day life if I notice, okay, my spiritual state is, I am just in a crummy place today, you know, like I'm having a hard day, I'm thinking horrible thoughts about myself, you know, whatever, like that can yeah. just, but it, it, I find comfort in the thought that this is just happening today. I can be gentle with myself. I can breathe through this. And I know that I'm going to be led to a new state because that's just the nature of heaven or the nature of the Lord is just to keep going, yeah. you know. I like to look for patterns. It doesn't mean it's always going to be predictable. But for instance, as a, a, a college professor, uh, we start up our school year in September or so. And I can guarantee you that in late August, I will be just, even if I've done this yeah. for years, I'll have all this self-doubt. Why in the world would they ever want me to teach anything? I'm terrible at this. I don't know anything. (laughs) The kids are going to hate me. Oh, it's awful. And, you know, I'm just in the dumps. So that's one. Another is the day after Christmas. 
Yeah. The day after Christmas, you know, Herod shows up and just ruins my mood. And so, yeah. and, and also I would find when I had little kids at home, about 4.30 in the afternoon was arsenic that. hour. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so sometimes it's because of the rhythm of the year or the day or we're hungry or something. Yeah. And so now I've lived enough years that I can, I can almost look at predictable, um, almost like you're going to have potholes yeah. in the road yes. you know, at certain times of year, about this time yeah. of year, and they haven't fixed them yet. So I can almost go, you know what, it's going to be August pretty soon, and I'm going to have that, or late afternoon, if I don't have some nutrition, something's going to happen, and plan something for the day after a holiday when you might go into a slump because mm -hmm. you build up excitement, and then, is this all it is? Yes. And the hells take over. So I'm finding that it helps for me to almost organize something positive or to just let it happen, but then shift over to something like gardening, reading, take a walk, get out in nature so that I can have something to do, um, an alternative. Another one that I find is uh, it's pretty predictable. I mentioned the holidays. We just had Easter and Christmas was a while ago. It can build up excitement that it's going to be perfect, and I find that I have to not just chum, uh-oh, it's not perfect, so uh, the disappointment. And then I start blaming other people. So then I have to start using my little mantra, which is uh, my happiness is not dependent on other people's behavior. I have yeah. to figure out how to shift my focus and uh, either do something constructive, something more healthy, something like that, eat something healthy. And, and so you can kind of counteract, and it's very fluid. Mm -hmm. uh, eat eat something that matters. It I mean, matters. You, if we talking about everyday spirituality, like it one of the first things that that I learned when I was first um, starting to hit depression when I was younger is the the physical matters. It yeah, does. and I definitely for me certain times of day, yeah. uh, like I'll why am I so I'll notice I get irritated at something. I'm hungry. That's yeah. how I know I'm hungry before yeah. I can even feel. Hunger. Uh, so that that's so important. Yeah. And then with the rigidity you were talking about, the heaven hell mindset. This thing I've mentioned probably a few times on this channel, but the Swedenborg talks about heaven and hell and how they think differently, and that that actually hell loves to condemn evil. Heaven <laughs> likes to excuse yes. evil. You would think it would be the other way around. <laughs> Isn't like, that ironic? Like it would be. Oh, you know, hell would be like you're you're evil. We're evil. Come over here. <laughs> Johnny party. Know, uh, but but that hell is like. It's like, hey, he did this. You yeah. know, like we're going to condemn you for that. And that heaven, when they, we just did this on, on the show, uh, like an episode ago, um, that that when heaven looks at somebody, they they only focus on the good things and the bad things. They do notice they put a good interpretation on. Uh -huh. Hell does the exact opposite. They Isn't only focus on the, the evil things and, and 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 pay no attention to the the yeah. good things. So uh, it's selective that, memory in both directions. Exactly. So <laughs> that that yes, the whole that. <gasps> that you f find kind of uh, this rigidity, even in like s religious fundamentalism, of uh, this is it, you're, you're on this side of the fence or you're on this side. But I, the more I find what I believe to be actually God, um, the more there is this fluidity and this accommodation. And you see this in like the stories of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. In that, what uh, earlier somebody was saying something that reminded me of, um, oh, the car, your, your car analogy. That's like, the, this was was the Sabbath made for people, or were people made for the Sabbath? Yeah, you know, yeah. The, the whole there's so many clashes between Jesus and the Pharisees, where they're saying, "Look, this this woman committed adultery. Here's the rules," and he's like, "Take it easy. Nobody's yeah. perfect." <laughs> yeah. Or, "Hey, this person helped somebody on the Sabbath. Wouldn't you get your sheep out of a pit just a day?" <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's it's funny that that reasonable. That's the epitome. I mean, that's uh. this like that's this climax of 
God meeting the messed up human mind. So mm -hmm. that, that that's always a dynamic to be watching. And the more that I'm like that, I know that I'm I'm a little you know leaning leaning hell way wise that way. Uh, so yeah. so an it interesting, is. There's an interesting idea of conscience that I feel like I'm learning more about, which is like not so much the idea of conscience that just I mean for sometimes conscience is just useful to be like don't do that you know that's not good <laughs> you know like stop Jiminy it Cricket. yeah you've got to yeah. stop that and like do this because you know it's better mm -hmm. but this sort of developing an inner voice that kind of counteracts that condemning part of myself and have this voice that is just the epitome of compassion and understanding you know that sees me at my worst and says I know you're just so tired you've had mm -hmm. a really hard day and mm -hmm. you know but it's gonna be okay and da -da -da. you know just sort of this loving support mm -hmm. voice in my head that like oh that is like a somewhat heavenly conscience that is always going to be wanting to excuse the evil not not in like a, a disorderly or harmful way you know of like yeah. oh yeah don't worry about that but like that really has my best you know well-being you know yeah. at, as its intention and so because for me those like you were talking about the cycle points of like it is four o'clock in the afternoon and four o'clock in the morning like having little kids and having to wake up at night i just finally realized i am a horrible person if you wake me up at three or four in the morning mm -hmm. and i'm i do not feel in control of that but mm -hmm. that loving voice can just understand that, know it, and be like, mm -hmm. okay, so how are we gonna take care of this? You know, how can we yeah. make this yeah. work or whatever? And so yeah. it's not saying, oh, you horrible person for right. snapping at your kids or whatever. It's just saying, okay, this is what's happening. Yeah. Let's work on this or whatever. And that's that's like a, a, I forget how this ties back into the whole spiritual state thing, but it's great. It's, <laughs> it, it's been observing. Of, yes. <laughs> and while we're still physical creatures, we get hungry, we're tired, yes. we're sleep deprived. Uh, we got to be a little bit forgiving. Doesn't mean we justify it and say, I'm just that way. I'm right. always going to be that way. I can't change. I mean, going there is not really all that helpful. It's more observing it and going, okay, take care of your physical needs if you have to, do what's urgent, and then try to get yourself back into a healthier state yeah. if you can. Mm -hmm. the, the fundamental attribution error, this is something mm -hmm. I learned in, in <laughs> psychology classes, which is that um, it's called the fundamental attribution error because everybody does it, which in short, Oh. Uh, you're driving, somebody cuts you off. That's because they're a jerk. They're, they're insensitive. They don't care. Mm -hmm. You driving, oops, I just cut someone off. Well, I was distracted. and I, I, If you do something wrong, it's because of circumstances. Mm -hmm. If they do something wrong, it's because of their people. character. <laughs> That's you know, right. And that we, we just automatically do that. So, I so see, to do the opposite of yeah. that is to go, I wonder what kind of day they're having. Yeah, Maybe yeah. I often say, I think they're going fast because they're on the way to the hospital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if I put that in my head, I'm immediately, oh, I better get out of the way. Just like you would if an ambulance is going by, we yep. all get out of the way. Yep. Well, sometimes when you're being a defensive driver, it's better to shift your attitude over here. Oh, let's give them, let's yield a little. Let them do what they need to do. The Lord's taking care of them and trying to get them in a good state. I'll just sort of get out of their way a little bit. And I think that changes the attitude. I mean, uh, a while ago I had a job where I worked in a maximum security prison. And uh, I think Pete's worked with people who have broken the law a few times as well. And you have to kind of get your head around. I'm not here to just condemn them all the time. The civilly, maybe they've broken laws. They have to be in jail for a while. But how can I meet them at this moment in a way that I'm not judging them? That I'm going, they're doing the best they can now. Could have been that they did the crime where they were 
under the influence of drugs, or maybe they you know, were running out of money and they needed something. And I don't know what their deep intentions are. The Lord does. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My job is right this minute. Can I teach them something? Because I was teaching classes there. So I think that helps in those extreme conditions as well as with people who are mostly law-abiding citizens. Give them the benefit of the doubt and shift over to that. Mindfully doing that, I think, helps instead of just swearing or saying, you know, get out of my way, I'm the king of the world, and you should drive, you know, defensively against me. You know, that's where we often go when we're in our cars. I think people have this sort of worry that, oh, well, you know, you need to call that person out because they're a jerk, and if you don't call them out, they'll just keep being a jerk. But I think overall, if everybody just assumed the best, Mm -hmm. uh, there'd be a couple people that, yeah, you pulled out of their way because you think they're going to the hospital, but they're not. But overall, the net impact would be so much better on the on the human race that mm-hmm. it's worth us taking that 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 track. Well, I'd mm-hmm. heard someone say that uh, the reason there's road rage is because you can't see each other's face. Yes. So if you bump into someone on the street, you immediately look around and see you're feeling guilty and sorry, and you put, put your hands. I didn't mean it. Yeah. And oh, that's quite all right. But in the car, you don't see that. So that's the opportunity for your ego or the hell is to say, attribute the worst to that person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've, since I read that, I've been experiencing that. That's true. If I can mm-hmm. actually see the person, the humanity of that person, mm-hmm. and the, I was thinking of something else, just like anybody else could, mm-hmm. then they're a human rather than an object. That's right. Yeah. And and if I objectify so a person, that's mm-hmm. when I can have all sorts of negative thoughts about that person. They're not an object. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing um, online, <laughs> not with our YouTube audience, of course, but you, awesome. you do notice that uh, the more anonymous commenting forums are, the nastier the comments right. are. You get the worst, <laughs> actually, oh. YouTube is notorious for that, but actually, if you just go to articles that are just written mm. uh, on websites that aren't, that aren't social networks, there's a place where you can sign in and comment, and you, you read those, and those can be just, just like so toxic and negative because nobody knows who's commenting. Yes. So the more and, and the and the person that they wrote the article, they're being mean to. They can't see that person. They just things you would never get up and say at a lecture. You'll you'll type online. Any of us will because yes. it's like there's these barriers. Uh, Psychology has another fancy word for that. We call it de-individuation. Yeah. I always think about somebody who wants to rob a bank. They put a ski mask on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even the night before Halloween, we put a mask on and then we go and mess up the neighborhood. Whenever we de-individuate, we are taking out the individualness where there's the opportunity for us to see each other as human beings and have compassion. So for us to uh, use the media, like uh, social media, to do that, it's just, you might think it's cathartic to let it all out. It actually is really harmful for the sender of the message as well as somebody who receives it. Mm -hmm. It's not good practice, Mm -hmm. but the the medium is there. and we have to just decide, okay, am I just going to ignore all of those? It's a, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, yeah. To, to love wisely. It's not, there's not clear-cut actions in every situation, but there's just general principles that we're, we're trying to cultivate. So that, yeah. that's what we're sort of trying to do here. I wanted to go to another um, okay. question. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, is from Bailey31909. So why do some say we must worship God? Why not just acknowledge his divine being? Do we have to, have to actually worship? And what does it actually mean to worship the Lord? And I have a short Swedenborg quote that I think speaks to this. It's from Apocalypse Explained 325. We continually pray when we live a life of kindness, if not with our mouths, yet with our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's expand on that. Pete? 
Well, I just think when you finally come to that, that it's not a ritual, it's not a mantra, it's not a certain prayer, it's not going to church at certain times, it's living a good life. Mm -hmm. In order for me to live a good life, I have to uh, ask God to free me from my loves of myself, my selfishness and self-centeredness. And gradually, as I am willing to surrender those, I will not mine be done. He can start to fill me with his will. And doing God's will is your prayer to him. Mm -hmm. I think in the Bible there's one, Jesus says, well, if you have a son, he says, yes, Father, I'll do what you ask me to, and he doesn't. Another son says, I'm not going to do it, and does. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Who's the one doing my will? <laughs> right? That's right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's what I believe. And I, I just believe the organized religion, and when people get into that, oh, our church is right, or this is the right religion, you're wrong because you don't have these external forms of worship. Uh, God didn't say that. You know, my understanding mm -hmm. is if you're coming from love, and you're living a life of love, then that's the highest worship you can have of me. Mm -hmm. so. So that's the church inside. We right, talked about right, that right. one. Yeah. yeah. Religiosity is sort of the, the phenomena of having organized religions, and we've had them all over the world for generations. Spirituality, you can be spiritual in a religious ritual, of mm -hmm. course, but you can also have spiritual um, state of mind outside of an organized religion. And although I've been raised in an organized religion, the one that's affiliated with Swedenborgian writings, but I'm finding at this stage of my life, spirituality matters a whole lot more to me than the organized religion. And it doesn't mean I'm rejecting it. It's just I, I really would rather have my focus be on what am I learning? What am I writing about? What am I painting, which is inspired by spiritual ideas? How am I treating? my neighbor, who might be a different organized religion. Um, how am I treating my husband on a daily basis? Am I showing up every day at my job with a good heart? That, to me, is building new habits. And I think um, I want to share something my dad uh, gave to me, and it's a four-word kind of a way of trying to organize your thoughts and your affections. He calls it compel, habit, confidence, delight. CHCD, compel, habit, confidence, delight. He says at first you might have to mm -hmm. compel yourself. When, and when we were little, he would say, compel yourself to go to church even if you don't feel like it. And now in my life, it's more try to compel myself to shift my thoughts to be less hostile and more heavenly. And then it might be a habit. So that right now, uh, one of my volunteer work uh, jobs is that I'm a mediator between people who are in tremendous conflict. And they can't talk to each other without screaming or yelling horrible things. So I mediate between them. And before I go in and do it, I have little spiritual practices I do to try to be present and to sort of bring uh, kind angels into the room. That has become a habit because I do it several times a week now. Right. And confidence comes every once in a while and you get this borrowed heavenly state. You feel like, I can do this tomorrow, too. <laughs> and then you get moments of delight. It doesn't mean every day, but when it happens, it's like, wow, this is what it's like to do the Lord's will. Um, but you can't get there without doing some of the lower ones. So if I have another area of my life that I'm working on, again, I'll go through, well, what do I have to compel myself to do? And then will it become a good habit? And will I get confident that I can do this on a regular basis? And then it's starting to become more of my own. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that's the surest proof that Swedenborg says, you know, heaven and hell are acting on us, but it, it's not, the good in you is not intrinsically yours. It's something that mm -hmm. comes, because there are times when I'm just, I'm awesome. Like, I, as, as far as doing spiritual principles, like I'm, love is coming through. I, I, f I feel like the truths that I've kind of storehoused in my mind, they're all making sense. They're directing actions. It's great. And then 
the next day or later that day. It's like, I just can't. All right, I'm just going to, like, look up stories about basketball on my phone. It's, like, all I can do. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> At least it's you're like, not hurting can, other people. I'm, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, just tired, and I just want to lay here. And, like, I'm like, oh, that weekend, like, I, I was, I thought I was, like, like I was going to become the, yes. the Buddha by the end of the weekend. <laughs> And now I'm like, I'm just like barely hanging on. It's, you can just be so in it and so out. And that just shows like yep. somebody turned off the faucet. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Got to compel yourself in some way to be receptive again. Something yeah. that's interesting that reminds me of is um, like I have a, you know, there's lots of things, um, you know, books and such that are wanting to help people create good habits for their mm-hmm. creativity, you know, or it's sort of like um, do practice writing exercises or this or that like all this stuff and I would equate that to sort of you know religious practice from Mm -hmm. a sort of ritual I go Mm. to church I do these things Um, like the reason why you do those practices from a creative standpoint is like to help you know sort of coach you along until you get to that point where you actually feel the inspiration or you're like all right Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do that thing that I you know I feel really connected to that idea now or something so I'm not going to like stop myself from going and actually doing what I wanted to do just because I have to go do my my exercises that I committed to, you know, or something. It's right. like it's, the one is meant to serve the other. That's right. It leads to that. Right. And so, like, there's going to be, you know, there is a Swedenborg quote that says the, the act precedes, the will follows. And so I think we have sort of religious practice. It's sort of this outward, it might feel a little bit hollow, like a little bit, well, I'm just following the motions, yeah. you know, doing the thing. But the idea is that it's, you get in the practice of it. And then once that, once you sort of have some spiritual life that comes into it, then it's like, yeah, those other things can just kind of fall away. Cause then you've got the real deal. You, yeah. you know, you got what you were coming for. I think in the Bible, it talks about um, turning around and turning to salt. And the internal sense, as I understand it, was she was being led by doctrine, which is, oh, this is a practice, this is a truth. I went and studied, That's I went right. to an ashram. And then she started to get the good of truth, and the good of truth was starting to lead. And then she yes. looked back to the practice. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, there's, there's no life there anymore, because now you're being led by a living truth, which yes. is the good of what you're doing is leading you. And then if you're going to skip uh, doing your meditation because the good asks you to go somewhere, you go somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. In worship, and it can go back and forth like that. The, you know, it isn't, we want it to be linear, (laughs) but it's like, okay, today I do need that. I need to to sit and worship. Some states you're just starting off. Yes. In the doctrine. Right. Just trying to learn the doctrine. Yeah. alone do it. Mm-hmm. And then in other states, uh, you're in the good and you don't even think about it. Exactly. And for some states, like, a little doctrine is like, oh, great step. Because <laughs> you never even try to think in those states outside to anything right. higher. And so, right. yeah, it's a, that that's, this goes back to the sort of organic nature, uh, the yes. fluid sort of nature of the heavenly. And the, be, take it easy on yourself that this is... This is part of a process. Yeah. I just want to say something about the fluid part that you were talking about. Uh, to me, God is living. He's a verb. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we continue to want to turn him into a noun. We want to understand, control him, <laughs> do the right practice, <laughs> cross him off. Now, now we got that handle. He's on your stage. Yeah, but, he's on the stage. But he's, he's always living and he's always moving. So yeah. you can't step into the same stream, uh, stream twice. It's like, no you aren't going to be able to understand and thereby control. Mm-hmm. You don't understand. It's going to be a living relationship. 
-hmm. So as a little child, you enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop trying to figure him out. Just enjoy his living mm -hmm. life that you get to experience as if it's yours, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's very humble and very fluid and it's changing all the time. And I truly don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it. I don't understand how my body works, but I can call it my body and I can enjoy yeah. the fact I can walk and ride a bicycle yes. and I don't know how I do it. Yeah. So <laughs> I think we make it much more complex than God's asking us to make it. I really don't need you to use your brain for that. I'll use it if I need it and I don't need it very often. Mm. Yeah. And the act of using a brain. Mm. Like, okay, I'm going to think about this. Like especially creative stuff. Okay, I'm going to come up with this. You just sit there. Ideas sort of come in. You have no idea how the neurons are firing, and but yet, look how look at me. I'm a genius. I, I wrote this thing. Yes. Uh, I want to. I want to end with one, one last question. Um, and this sounds like it would be something that we made up to prove that we're having impact on people, but it's real. <laughs> help expose my constant conversations about Swedenborg with my husband has changed his views and influenced our relationship. How have the panel's relationships been been changed because of the wisdom? of these beliefs. I, I, want to, I want to respond. Yeah. I just had a, a realization I probably, most of you probably have when you're five years old. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so I'm applying these principles as best I can, you know, restrain a tongue and pen, don't say it. If you're angry, it's your anger and I'm doing all this. And Roxanne's on the phone talking to someone, we're going to go for a bike ride. And she keeps talking, we, I'm going on a bike ride. I thought we were going on a bike ride. <clears throat> and she's still talking. And I suddenly realized that I've held this idea that other people should make me happy mm -hmm. and other people should do things the way I want to do them, mm -hmm. especially if they love me or my wife or something. <laughs> and suddenly the realization that, that is total insanity. That yes, it is true God created you so that your happiness, you're happy in making other people happy. But I've concluded therefore People should make me happy. Yes. Yeah. Right? It's and, my and, birthday. And I should make them happy. Hey, you guys start living it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to do you a favor here. Give so, you every opportunity to. <laughs> so these, you know, applying these principles. And it made a huge effect. It's, oh, that, that's true with everybody. No one's here. No one's job is to make me happy, including God's job is to make me happy. Maybe. So I'd be happy making other people's happy. But I misunderstood. Yeah. Mm. So, it, but it's going to, it actually had an impact at that moment oh. whatever negativity I had I just saw she was talking on the phone had nothing to do with me mm. yeah. and so these truths that we studied and we learn we try to apply they are given to us to break us free from our insanity that's making our life miserable mm. so yeah. it's not theoretical I could care less about that yeah mm. but something that simple is going to make a huge difference and I'm never going to be able to forget that Absolutely. That was profound. What a yeah. shift. Isn't yeah. that amazing? And, and those are the shifts that uh, I really enjoy. And that's, you know, it's a realization about how, you know, self-centered I am. But it's not. It feels like a bad judgment. It's like, oh, thank God. Right. You explained it to me. Yeah. Right. I think that, for me, the impact is not like, oh, I can read this thing. Okay, so... I'll take the trash out on Tuesday, you take it out on Thursday. Thank you, Swedenborg. It's, it's like, this is letting me know how, it's just letting me know how um, misguided my entire um, construct of approaching the situation is. Right. Like, like you're talking about, looking, looking for the thing to serve you in particular mm -hmm. ways. But that really, spirituality within relationships of any kind is the same, it's all the same principles. That if you're, you're looking to... <coughs> Um, live humbly and progress and regenerate everywhere that you are. 
You know, sometimes people, even with, with like romantic relationships, they'll, they'll kind of say, except for here. Mm-hmm. Here, the goal is to have everything go just right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to have, to have it so that w- everything goes just right between us and we like are on a restaurant it, uh, overlooking the ocean and like, the, and like I, we both just said something witty. Like if you see, the, if you see like um, <laughs> movies... That that uh, that that were with a dialogue between couples and like movies like my wife and I sort of make fun of it by being like oh touche touche like it's one person said this super witty thing yes. and the other person says this like super witty thing back and it's like that's like ooh sparks are flying there but like, that's not love and I don't think there's like a lot that there's not a lot of good knowledge about what it actually is so mm-hmm. to, to me I find that I'm positively impacted by. This teaches me how I should be looking at every moment of my life. Right. The same principles apply yeah. within relationships. Yeah. Well, that's why like, I think about, I don't know what my relationships would be like if I didn't have, if I didn't come eventually of age with these ideas, with Swedenborg's ideas sort of in my mind, because it, it totally is different than the thought that, well, first, one like primary idea is just the idea that life is about relationships you know like it's about our relationship to god and our relationship to each other and so life is relationship and then that it's trying like our if our life is about developing this covenant with the lord um like reciprocal mutual love there then um every relationship is going to be perfectly you know possible able to do the work of of what needs to be done to better that relationship Mm -hmm. and so to let go of this false idea that my relationship has to feel good or that it has to like have you know in terms of like (coughs) that it needs to not have strife or not have conflict or not have you know anything like that's just not let it it go through states exactly right it goes through states and so and that like when you bring you know, yeah, like this idea of spiritual growth is that we develop a practice of reflection. We see evils that are in our nature come up in us so we can see them for what they are so that we can be freed from them. And like, that's not always comfortable. And, and yet by being in relationships, that sort of sets up the perfect um, recipe for that to happen for all the parties involved. Mm. So, you know, so it's not, it's not like... <clears throat> Oh, you know, like that, what's the smallest conference in the world is like, or, or like the, the conference for dysfunctional families or something. Like, anyway, anyway, just like there's no such thing as a functional com- yeah, conference for functional families. No one showed up. No, yeah, showed no up. one showed up. It's like, what? it's not because there's something wrong with us. It's like that's because everything's in process. Everything's yeah. being worked through. I'll use whatever. the Navy SEAL, the guys who are designing the Navy SEAL program. So it's a two-year program and... They're thinking of every terrible thing that could happen that you'd have to be able to survive and you know, they throw you in ice water and they tie you up. You think they're torturers, but they're actually trying to train you so you can be of help to people and save people. Right. So I think relationships are about the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want to go training. into the Navy SEAL program, so here's a ring, here's a ring. Yeah, here's a ring. I'll sign my life to this. Well, I've put lots of thought into um psychology and spirituality and what does it mean in our relationships that's just something that's been a theme of my life Mm -hmm. and and so a few years ago when I was teaching psychology uh, my boss and I decided that it was important for me to kind of organize my thoughts and then teach a class about it 
um, it's not just how to be nice to others, but we decided to really study the whole concept <coughs> of altruism. So I even wrote a book about it. Uh, and to you try to hold that up so we can, see if you guys can find that on the web. Actually, this is on um, now available on Amazon. It's called Altruism: Many Kinds of Kindnesses. Cool. And so I've had the joy of teaching. Imagine twenty-five students who are all wanting to learn about the good side of people. I also teach about forensic psychology right now, about mm. the criminal mind. But yeah. it's so much fun to actually stir in my college students the idea that not only just giving money to charity, not only just volunteering for Habitat for Humanity, but to organize your thoughts in such a way that you're doing it with a full heart. And to pay attention to the recipient. Don't just pay attention to the, your own reputation when you're being altruistic and charitable, but to pay attention to who's on the receiving end and the people you're doing it alongside. So in, in this class, we actually not only had a three-credit regular class where you learn the concepts, but there was a fourth credit. They had to go out to do community service three hours cool. every week, mm -hmm. all term. And then we would talk about what's it like to help that nice. elder with Alzheimer's or to go over to a, a thrift shop and organize all the stuff that's being donated or whatever they were doing and to make it living. And then they would have that in, in their learning. They're out in the world learning and they're learning psychologically. That to me has been sort of one of the most exciting things that I've ever had a chance to experience is to not only organize the ideas but then provide a learning living lab. And, and yet I don't force religion on them. Mm -hmm. It's to help them be mindful uh, about trying to be charitable and kind to others by paying attention to the other people involved. And that has been just such a thrill. So to me, uh, through my work as well as through my family life, it's just been such a treat to I feel very lucky to have the resource of the writings to be able to go to um, and to try to really enrich my whole life. And that, the idea of truths enriching the life, that, that is mm -hmm. everyday spirituality. That's, somehow, that's it for me. You, you go learn these <coughs> concepts and they, they help. So that's why we make these videos. That's why we're trying to give you these concepts in case they will enrich your life. Uh, people online. Mm -hmm. Everybody, thanks so much mm -hmm. for, for being a part of this. I learn every time I'm hearing you guys <laughs> talk, so I really appreciate the input. Everybody, thanks for watching. We'll be back again next week, same time. Hope you have a great week. Hope you practice well during it. See ya.